electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our trainers on the desk are Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Guy Dami. We are also joined tonight by Jeff Mills, Chief Investment Officer at Bryn Mawr Trust. Tonight on Fast, say bye-bye, Baba. The trade war taking a new twist and taking down the markets. New reports that the Trump administration is considering blocking U.S. investment in China. That includes possibly delisting all Chinese stocks from U.S. exchanges. Those headlines sending stocks sharply lower today. Let's get the latest on this developing story. Eamon Javers is live at the White House with the details. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. I'm told that those headlines that crossed earlier today, those are accurate headlines. That's what got the market's attention. They are considering some measures behind the scenes here at the White House to stop uh, U.S. investors being able to invest in Chinese companies in one way, shape, or form, or another. Uh, but they're, they're very early on in those conversations, is my understanding. And there's, there's no timeline at this point for any fundamental decision. All of this is framed in the, in the guise of investor protection. The idea here is that there's a concern that there are some Chinese companies that may be listed in the U.S., that aren't exactly what they're purported to be because of the accounting standards and other, other differences between the way the two countries handle corporate disclosures. So uh, that is being discussed behind the scenes. It's not clear. There are a lot of options, not clear where they're going to land or when that decision is coming. One model for it might be the uh, piece of legislation that Senator Marco Rubio and others are considering up on Capitol Hill. Uh, they've talked about that in the past. The idea there would be uh, they would delist companies unless they conformed more stringently to American securities regulations, those Chinese companies would. Uh, so that's one proposal. But Rubio's office told CNBC this afternoon they have not been in direct contact coordinating with the White House on the proposals that the White House is working on. So that's a separate idea that's moving on a separate track, but it gives you a sense of where this might land. Ultimately, uh, it's still TBD, though. Would this have to come from Congress, Eamon, uh, or a vote by the SEC? Or, I mean, how can, it, it, how yeah, can the administration force an exchange to decide what their listing standards are? It, it, it really depends on what they decide to do, right? Uh, some of those ideas, like you're talking about, would require Congress to pass a law, and that would mean they'd have to get, the White House would have to get support from Democrats to do it because Democrats control the House of Representatives. So uh, in a contentious election year, that might not be as doable. There might be other smaller, more regulatory changes that they can do on their own. Uh, I'm told that the me mechanics of all this are still being discussed, and they don't have a particular plan for how to roll it out yet because it's still very early on. Okay. Eamon, thank you very much. Eamon you Javers. Uh, there are so many ways to go, but what is uh, definitely clear is the reaction that we saw in today's markets. We had a lot of the Chinese ETFs um, dive lower, close at session lows. A lot of the Chinese stocks did the same. A lot of sort of the trade war poster children stocks like semiconductors took a further leg lower as if the micron news wasn't enough and closed on the lows of the session. So where do you go with this here in terms of... Well, I mean, if this is a... I don't know what this is, number one. However, if it's a negotiating tactic as we get into the October date, whenever that is, the 10th or so, when the two sides are going to sit down... It's a pretty high-stakes game of poker they're playing. Now, I think there have been 
There have been rumblings about this over the years. I don't think it's ever been considered uh, all that serious. But again, in a negotiating tactic, I think you have to be worried. But I'll say this. You know, if you had told me at 8.30 this morning that these headlines would come out I would, and say, Guy, where's the market going to be? i say, well, given the run we've had, given every, the backdrop of everything, the S&P is going to be down 50 to 60 handles. Mm-hmm. NASDAQ's going to be down 150. And, we're gonna, and the bond market has exploded the upside. None of that really happened. Again, it speaks to either the complacency of the broader market or the strength and resiliency of it. Now, I say it's complacent, but I can understand the bull case that it's that it's strength and, and, and relative strength given the rest of the world. Yeah, I think it's probably resilient. It's probably all of those things, but it's probably more resilient. It's probably not getting ahead of this. And the fact that this probably could never happen. I don't, I don't think you can delist all of these names. I don't think it's going to happen. But when you look at we're at the end of the month, end of the quarter, when you look at where it's, we were seven handles above negative on quarter, we bounced back dramatically from the middle of the day. That's impressive. That's, that's true. And we did bounce back right off the 50-day, almost to the number. So I think there are a couple of things to think about here. Number one, just think about the MSCI indexes, for example. You know, a lot of our clients, a lot of clients in general, they get exposure to international stocks, emerging markets, via ETFs that track that index. So when you think about EEM, for example, you're talking about a 30% exposure to China. And that's been systematically going up as MSCI has been increasing the exposure to China. So that's important. As far as the broad market, I think we're probably range bound, quite honestly. And and to your point about the market recovering today, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, positioning as well as sentiment. And I keep saying it again and again on the show, and I probably sound like a broken record, but CFTC positioning, second week in a row, net short. AAII bull bear survey, flip negative, so bears outweighing bulls. So I think it doesn't mean we can't correct, doesn't mean there can't be volatility, but I think that puts some floor under how bad things can get. By the way, nice haircut. Very high and tight, Jeff. Thank you. I did it for you. That's the way it's done, Um, right? So this felt a little bit like an American company's hereby will. No longer, you know, and and so in terms of what listing standards are, let's be clear. There's a lot of Chinese companies that aren't listing here because they can't make these standards. So the good news, folks, is I think the American listing standards and the exchanges are very, very high. And they include accounting standards and they include transparency and corporate governance. I I think that that is really the standard. And I think that is something that will win out. Uh, But but we're talking about Jeff's talking about emerging markets, which which I would put closer to 40, 45 percent China. um, And where you can see actually from the April highs, the downtrend, which EM is now four or five sessions well off of trying to break through. It's a downtrend. It can't break through. And frankly, with the dollar going higher, I I have trouble seeing this breakout. Alibaba um, is a name that I'm long and a name that's done nothing for a year and a half. Essentially traded sideways. But if you look at the upper end of the range, anywhere between 180 and 190, uh, you know, this is a stock that's been dead money, despite the fact that you had an investor, a two-day investor day. You've had Jack Ma kind of move on. People thought there was actually going to start to be a little more transparency, a little bit more insight in and financial, a little more insight into how they were going to run their businesses. So it's, it's not a particularly exciting time to be investing in emerging markets or mega cap. So names. you're saying regardless of this noise, uh, I'm saying it's, it's, not, it's, it's not right time. Uh, I, don't, for you. I don't think even if the trade war ended tomorrow, um, I, I, I think these stocks would get a pop. Um, but the pro- I'm, problem I'm is very concerned about the longer term There's 229 game. stocks. Everyone goes out in the number 156. If you add in Hong Kong stocks, it's 229. None of them meet the accounting standards that the U.S. companies do. Wait, what do you? I don't understand. What what number are you referring to? One fifty six of the of listed what? Chinese stocks listed on American exchanges. Okay, so one hundred fifty six companies. So are it's one hundred fifty six. But if you go with the the Hong Kong number, adding in Hong Kong and Chinese stocks, it's about two twenty nine. 
Okay. And what None of them meet the accounting standards of the U.S. listed companies. None of them do. So some some so you're meet more. There's two standards. There are there's two, two standards, standards right now. Well, that's what this whole debate is about. And with that equitable act that they're talking about, they get three years to comply. Once yeah. that they list. And I'll take Steve's. Well, I can't speak to the standards to be a listed company. I, I, but, uh, but the concern should be, I, I would think, is there a retaliation now? Yes. That, to me, is the bigger concern. Again, you know, we push the envelope. The Chinese push back. So it gets back down to, is this make a deal more imminent or is this make a deal less likely? I would say this makes a deal less likely. And again, it's shocking to me, and I've been wrong, so I have to prep, but it's shocking to me that even off the backdrop of everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks, the VIX has still has a 17 handle, and we're still within a whisper of an all-time high in the S&P 500. Quickly, if you want to look at one thing, the Russell, the IWM, look at where it stopped on the upside. It stopped basically where we topped out in March and a number of times since that 158.5, 159 level, closed lower today. To me, the Russell's been a tell all along, and if that starts to sort of roll over from here, that might actually pull down the broader I market. I thought you were going to add in the, the uh, price action of the exchanges today. Yes. The Fair NASDAQ enough. as well you're, as ICE. I'm, you're, I'm you're in, in your my head, head well, more so than you're in your own head. But the head truth is, on, on the is, ICE, that's a should, be troubling, should be troubling to all of us. <laughs> on the ICE, that's a small portion of but their the revenues, NASDAQ, but, it's, but, it's, but it's a larger portion. And, of course, yeah, people shoot first and then research it later. I don't think that this is going to happen. I think that's important. But this has been going on for years, and it stems from the House of Representatives, not from the White House. The White House is actually picking up on it. I understand this has been going on for years, but it hasn't been going on until recently with the context of a trade war, with the context of a China that is going to look for ways to retaliate, to Guy's point. And if China retaliates, what can they do? They can make it very difficult for U.S. companies to expand in China, to do more business in China, to get their stuff through the supply chains in China. China, well, to and, do JVs in China, to actually go there. And, and, and it already was. So right. to be clear, you know, companies like Apple and, and some of the technology companies, for sure, have figured out what the rules of engagement are and, and I think have, have kissed the ring, so to speak. And I think, you know, that's how a quid pro quo takes place. Um, I do think that this is, a, I, I mean, Guy, you're right. I, I ultimately, um, it's very difficult to see how this doesn't lead to a ratcheting up of a, of a tit for tat. And, and I think as we go into October 10, um, I, I think the market is a little bit too um, complacent as it relates to trade. I, I think I think Jeff talks about where positioning says, well, not, not so complacent, actually, right. um, even though I think in the last couple of weeks, those AAII bull bear spreads are things that can change pretty quickly. They're kind of like relative strength indicators. They can get pretty overbought, oversold. But the general positioning in equities is very underweight. Yeah, and the one thing that continues to be strange to me, and I talk about this a lot, too, but it's that correlation between Trump's approval rating and the de-escalation of trade tensions, and they're actually positively correlated. Trump has to know that. He sees those approval ratings, and those approval ratings are directly tied to the votes he's likely to get in the presidential election. He has to know that in the back of his mind. And even with impeachment coming up, maybe that pushes him to want to do a deal a little bit more to try to save some sort of face there. And to your point about the positioning, I think the one thing that might be underappreciated is that, look, the economy here isn't that bad. Consumer confidence bounced a little bit today. The housing data is better. I'm not saying we're off to the races. But again, as it relates to a support and a potential catalyst for that sentiment but reversing. Why, why, would, why would China retaliate? The, my, my point, because why they, wouldn't it retaliate? Because they don't want the supply chain to change any more than it's already changed with tariffs. So we've heard of Apple trying to work around China already. Why would they give other companies more of an incentive to try to do that? I think that maybe it makes it less likely that a deal gets done. 
But I, I don't see a retaliatory measure that behooves China to do. Uh, maybe. Well, I mean, I think I think what the other thing that Trump knows is that, the, you know, he's always emphasizing the spread, the difference in performance between Chinese markets and U.S. markets mm -hmm. and how they're feeling more pain versus the U.S. markets, et cetera. This is a way of weaponizing the trade war. I'm saying, you know what, we're going after Chinese stocks. Right. We're going to make it more difficult for you to raise capital in the best market in the world here. And that's going to hurt you. I, I, I agree 100 percent, which is my point is the and, and Steve might be right. I mean, why would see, I think as Americans, we look through everything through the prism, through the lens of being American. So it's hard for any of us to understand how the other side would react. But if you take a step back and say to yourself, you know, who's in a better position? Who's in a position that can outlast the other? I mean, again, President Xi doesn't have to run for reelection in a year. President Trump does. So my sense is, and I've said this for a while, I think the Chinese are better suited to play the long game than we are. I think very clearly, though, our markets are the deepest, most sophisticated in the world. China wants to be a part of these markets, and I think this hurts. Yeah. Quick programming note here. Senator Mitch McConnell will join Squawk Alley this coming Monday for an exclusive interview. Be sure to catch it 11 a.m. Eastern time. We'll see what he has to say about this all. We're just getting started here on Fast. Up next, the big bank breakout. The financials on fire this month. We'll find out what is driving this action. And later, betting on the builders, the chart master will join us with one stealth way to play a housing boom. He'll tell us what he's seeing in the charts. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Wells Fargo getting a boost today. The bank's long search for a CEO coming to an end. Former BNY Mellon Chief Charles Scharf will take the helm. If you haven't been paying attention, the banks have been on fire. The XLF is up nearly 7% over the past month, and the regional banks have done even better, up 10%. But is this bank breakout about to go bust, Steve? Uh, I don't like the banks. And I look at the XLF, and it looks like a double top to me perfectly from back before the crisis. So we had peak earnings back then. You had peak leverage. You had 30 to 1 leverage. That's not coming back. And I think that's why a lot of these banks did so damn well is because they had 30 to 1 leverage. If that was their key moneymaker back then, that's not coming back. Regulation is not lowered to the point where you're going to see these banks run much further from here. I'm shocked that we still have up days in the XLF, I would be a seller. I mean, spreads have improved tremendously over the past month, the same time period the banks have gone up. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, though, Steve. If you look at the financials chart, it looks a little bit better than just the bank charts. The right. bank charts are still making those lower highs. And again, it's hard for me to get really excited about the banks. I understand the valuations there. I talked about the economy still being okay, but it's hard for me to see a real economic acceleration that steepens the curve enough to really be a catalyst for that valuation re-rate. So still not feeling great about the banks here. 
Well, and, and financials, if you're looking at the XLF, we know there's some other big positions in there that aren't money center banks or regional banks, whether For it's Berkshire, sure. whether yep. it's Blackstone. Um, so the outperformance of especially a Blackstone tends to skew some of that. But but look, it, it, the question is, is today's news at Wells Fargo to me, is it a catalyst to see a re-rating for a stock that's obviously derated substantially? Remember, this company used to trade at a premium, certainly to the other money center banks. Um, and I don't think so. Um, I think there's so much jury still to be proven. Let's let's lead with actions. Let's lead with activity. Let's see if you can actually win back the trust, because right now this company should be trading at a discount. And I think it will continue to. There's still investigations and still consent decrees open on Wells Fargo. You know, in base in sports, Mel, sometimes you want to hire a manager. And get, by the way, know. why did you start that as if Mel knows nothing about sports? That's we not, talk sports no, all the time. No, all the time. Tim, I mean, that's not, I don't think that's that wasn't anyway. the tone. Maybe he was just mansplaining to me. No, it wasn't. I, yes. you know, Oh, you know, there's no man. I don't know what that means, mansplaining. Well, I think you just did. You know, in sports, sometimes teams like to hire a manager, and their first choice does, says no. Right, second, second choice. choice. It was like when I was dating. I mean, all my choices. That's but then not, you, Linda's lovely. No, no, my wife is. No, I'm not talking about my wife. But okay. my point is, sometimes you wind up with somebody who you might not have thought of as that great, and they wind up being a star. This guy might be it. Could but be. to the earlier points. Banks have already had a huge run. I mean, city has gone from 61 to 70 over the course of a couple weeks. So they've been trading instruments. I think you continue to trade them. I think city reports October 15th. I think you sell it into earnings. All right. Coming up, there is a big battle brewing out west. It's wine versus weed. Our own Jane Wells got the details on this sinful showdown. Jane. And Melissa, white plastic hoops traditionally used for berries are now being repurposed for cannabis. Some farmers of other crops are saying keep off the grass. THCU when we come back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Forget the Hatfields and the McCoys. There's a new turf war breaking out, and this time it's between weed and wine. Jane Wells is on the front lines of this budding battle. Mm. Jane. I'm in Santa Barbara County, Melissa. This is a now illegal busted uh, pot operation, which is right up next to a vineyard. But there are plenty of legal cannabis farms here. Look at this. Santa Barbara has handed out 35% of all the permits to grow commercial marijuana in this state, far more than any other California county. And uh, covered cannabis grows are now often next to other crops, not just grapes, but avocados. There's like one, two, three, four projects right there. And then there's two more just right over that hill, another one over there. 
Vintner Blair Pence calls the cannabis explosion an existential threat to his business. He's especially concerned about the odor, which can be strong in places. A lawsuit in Oregon suggests that the odor could maybe affect the taste of the wine, even though there's absolutely no proof of that. When will you know whether it is affecting the taste of your wine? Uh, it could be a couple of years. If what is being proposed over here happens, we're going to find out real quickly. So this is our bioscientific uh, odor control system. It uses Ecosorb. Autumn Shelton of Autumn Brands has spent a hundred grand on a system to reduce the odor around her operation. And cannabis grower John DeFriel says he's trying to cut down on odor by freezing rather than drying product. We don't want the odor to evaporate. The odor evaporating, that's a molecule I'm selling. So any of those molecules that evaporate and go out into the atmosphere, that's lost revenue. Now, some farmers on both sides are trying to work things out without lawsuits. We got a statement from Sanford Winery, the original vineyard in this valley, and they say everybody just maybe needs to get better educated. So stay tuned. I would imagine, Jane, it's more profitable to grow cannabis than wine at this point. Uh, absolutely. They are estimating in this county, UC Santa Barbara says the wine grape value is $120 million, the cannabis value is $180 million, and you can grow it on less land, and it turns around much faster. Wow. Jane, thank you. Jane Wells. Mm-hmm. At the forefront I mean, of the Jane's just getting it perfect. done. Per- perfect. Always perfect. getting yeah. it done. Getting it done. What does this mean for the industry? Well, I tell you what, if, if you think about some of the places that Jane just was, if you think about the Emerald Triangle in Northern California, so Humboldt and Mendocino counties grow 60% of our country's marijuana, cannabis, and, and, and it's some of the best. Emerald, you know, certainly Emerald Triangle is by far the best. So in terms of the pricing and in terms of the competition for that land in that part of the world, you know it. And, and also, you know, some of the folks in the wine and spirits industry obviously feel some of the cannibalization of, of product moving much towards different types of social lubrication. I think that's right. another part of this. But if you think about the action just of cannabis stocks recently, obviously some of the wind taken out of the sales from the SAFE Act. A lot of it. Doesn't look like it's going to pass the Senate, but I still well, I don't think... agree with that, by the way. But okay. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But longer term, so short term, maybe volatility, longer term, I still think it's, it's a very reasonable place to be. And if you think about the momentum in the cannabis stocks, it's, you know, it's probably not going to pick up near term. But look about, what, look about what's, what's about to happen in Canada in terms of the legalization of drinking, of edibles. So companies that are levered to those products in Canada, they have a whole new list of items to sell. And companies that have partnered with the Constellation brands of the world, Molson cores of the world, they're going to have an, uh, an advantage there as it relates to selling those products. So in terms of names, I'd want to be exposed to those bigger companies. You've had a ton of these names that have just been the whole, the whole vaping issue has been a headwind to all of these names. So you want to wait till you clear that. That's the biggest headwind for this entire sector. But you're going to be able to pick up a lot of bargains in this entire space. And it'll be business Darwinism when it comes to acreage. Wherever they make the most money, they'll make it. It'll be a cannabis cabernet. Oh, cannabis. Like I, can- I, that's, that's, yeah. I like that. Now, far be it for me to call <clears throat> on Tim, but Emerald Triangle, did you just try to throw that in? Is that a real thing? That's it. That is a fan. See what you learn on Fast Money? As I've said many times, I'm a. Not very useful thing. The more you know. I'm a participant and a viewer. The Emerald Triangle. I love that. Constellation Brands reports on October the 3rd. That's how you play this. Time for the final trade, Tim. 
So we're talking about banks. We're talking about money center banks. There was a time Bank of America was painted with not as bad of a brush, but certainly on a relative value here. We'd rather own this money center bank relative to Wells Fargo. Jeff Mills. I'm going to echo Guy's point from earlier. I'd probably be a seller of small caps here. It's fourth time it's bumped up against the top of that range. So I think the, it, it's, it's likely to go more to the downside, especially if this risk-off environment continues. Grasso. Carnival Cruise Line got hit yesterday. It spilled out to the rest of the space. I'd be a buyer of Norwegian on that dip. The OA guys are just chomping at the bit to get. I can't even wait. Big week for gold next week. I happen to think Newmont Mining, Melissa Lee. Have a great weekend. Options actions right after this break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.